Good morning, Chair City Church. How you doing today? Welcome our guests. Glad you're here. So there's more to life than what you can see. Most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about what we can't see. We spend most of our time thinking about what we can see. It's reasonable. So about a year into our marriage, Chris and I, we were volunteering to work with uh, teenagers in the community where the church is located that we're attending. Uh, the majority of the te these teenagers, uh, they're coming from single-parent homes, and which probably 99% of their parent does not attend church. One of those teenagers is a young girl about 15 years of age, and uh, her, like many of these other teenagers, they, she begins to develop a close relationship with Christy and I. Well, due to tragic circumstances, none of which related to her behavior or her doing, the girl winds up running away from home. I mean, extraordinarily tragic circumstances. A couple of times a week, myself and other person or persons would go out driving around the city to see if we could locate this girl, right? And she was nowhere to be found. One night, a guy who's going to be going out with me shows up at our apartment, and I set out to leave my apartment to go with him. As I'm walking through the door, meaning as, as literally as my foot is crossing over the threshold, I grab the frame of the door, and I stopped abruptly. And the reason I'm doing that is because this urgency has come on me to call my grandfather, my precious dear grandfather. My grandfather lives in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Coney Island to be exact, and Christy and I at that time were living in New Britain, Connecticut, kind of like a sister city to Hartford, Connecticut. And we're about two and a half hours uh, away from him. Out, you know, yeah, about a, somewhere near 150, 125 miles, two and a half hours driving time to get into his apartment. So I turn, I go to our phone, I pick it up, I push the buttons, and I call my grandfather. Ring, 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 no answer. I hang up. I wait a little bit, I do it again, same thing, one more time. I think it was the third, maybe the fourth time I hear my grandfather pick up the phone. And sincerely, what I'm hearing on the other end sounds to me like a human being breathing their last breath. I'm convinced, and, and, and in fact, it's this truth that my grandfather, he's dying. And so I, I, I contain my emotions as best I can. I tell him, Gramp, Gramp, hang on. Where, you know, Christy and I are going to be there. We're leaving right now. And so Christy and I jump in the car, rush to Brooklyn. We arrive at his building. He lived in the projects. We, you know, I, 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 we, you know, I, we get in there. We get into the apartment. And there's my grandfather, and he's lying on his bedroom floor. When we look at him, we notice his abdomen is extraordinarily extended. I mean, I don't know who had a bigger abdomen. We're looking back. My, my, my grandfather, you know, Christy, who was in her ninth month of a twin pregnancy, when I think about this, or, or my grandfather, who looked like he swallowed three basketballs, right? <laughs> in, in retrospect, uh, you might get a little bit of the edge there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I pick my grandfather up in my arms, Christy, and we get him into the car, 
a little Toyota, and, and, and we rushed to the hospital. Once we get there, within, really, within like a couple of hours, I have my grandfather's in emergency surgery, and he's being rushed into surgery because they have discovered that there is a tumor, a cancer, it turns out a cancerous tumor is in his intestine, and that tumor now has blocked any air or gas from passing through, so his intestine is becoming like a balloon, and it is now just blowing up, and it was ready to burst at any moment. Well, the operation was successful. My grandfather, age 88, to the doctor's amazement, their professed amazement to Christian and I, makes it through the operation, and with no complications, meaning the prognosis for him to go now and to, uh, they of course gave him, you know, there were different things I had to do, but his prognosis was good. I was grateful to God for what had happened, that my grandfather was alive. I just wanted to see him one more time. The whole way as Christian and I were driving there, I just kept pleading and praying and asking God, can I just see him one more time? From the moment I got off the phone, I'm just saying, God, just let me see him one more time alive. Let me tell him in person that I love him one more time. And here he is now, and his prognosis to live for several months, maybe even another couple of years, is, is good. I was grateful that he was alive. But as the days passed, there was something weighing on me, uh, something I was wrestling with in, in, my, in my mind that just would not go away. And it was the fact that why did my grandfather not call me? Like when he, clearly he was, he was going to die. Why didn't he pick up the phone and call me and reach out to me for help? I understood why he didn't call 911 because it's nothing against you EMT guys and doctors and nurses. He wanted nothing to do with the medical profession. He just told me, he said, listen, you know, I'm getting older. Never call an ambulance for me. Never take me to the hospital. Never take me to the doctors. I want no part of it. Even when he eventually came to live with us, it was on the promise, my oath. I would never take him to a doctor. I would never take him to the hospital. I would never call the ambulance. He died in a home with us. That was the, that's when we called the, to the ambulances, and everybody was so suspicious, like, what's going on here? This is crazy. So that's what he wanted. Talk to him. <laughs> Complain to him about it, not me. <laughs> and so I sat down with him, and I said, hey, Gramps, you know, that night when it was all going on, I mean, it, you were dying, and how come you didn't call me? Why didn't you reach out to me? I mean, my thought was, did he want to check out? Had he come to a place in his life where he really didn't want to live anymore? And, and, and that's why he didn't call me. And, and if that's the case, I, I just wanted to know that. And so I asked him, you know, what, why, why didn't you call me? How come you didn't reach out to me? And he looked at me, and he said, Davey, I did. I wanted to call you. I, and I tried to, but, but I couldn't. You know, because I, the phone was right next to his bed. We had put it in a good place. He said, I, I tried to, and I couldn't. Now, my grandfather had one of those rotary phones, you know. <laughs> Technology had advanced way beyond them, but this was my grandfather. That was his phone. It worked fine. No reason for another phone. You know, <laughs> not a good phone to have in an emergency, by the way, as, <laughs> as this story is. He said, I tried. He goes, I, I picked it up. I tried it out. I couldn't do it. He goes, and then I, I just was on the floor, and I even tried when I was on the floor to reach up and do it, and I still couldn't do it. He says, I just laid on the floor. He goes, and, and I started to talk to God. And my grandfather really wasn't going to church. I'd been to church in probably 50 years. Knew what I was doing with my life and what Christian and I were doing. But he says, I just started praying to God, and talk, like talking to God. And I asked God, could you have Davy call me? Could you 
have Davy call me right now. And I hoped that you would call me. He said, and you did. Now, some of you might think this. You might say, okay, you know, Dave, that's a good, heartfelt story. And I am very glad that you and your grandfather had that moment, that your grandfather, that you, I mean, there's a lot of things I could attach to you doing that. You, you had good character, sincere love. You went in there. You were there for him, and he made it through. That, I just, that's wonderful. Dave, you know, this, this thing about, you know, you connecting, you're being aware of your grandfather's needs to him, you know, talking to, to God. And, I mean, you know, if there, you know, if there is a God, you know, I mean, he, your grandfather might have thought he was talking to God, but, I mean, it's really not a God or... Perhaps maybe it was just a coincidence, Dave, you know, what was happening. Not to take away from the sincerity of your love and the wonderful happening that your grandfather, you know, did well and what you have together. No. But maybe everything else, you know, this, what you're insinuating to him praying and you being moved, maybe that was just a coincidence, you know? Maybe, huh? But maybe there's just more to life than what we see. Maybe there's more to life than what we can reconcile in our mind, than what we can make sense of. Today we are in week one of our new teaching series, Unseen. In this series we're going to talk about spiritual battles, spiritual realms, some of the dynamics that are taking place in the unseen. We live in a physical world and we live in a spiritual world. I'm very convinced of this. What convinces me more of this sincerely is really what I have personally experienced and what I have learned, meaning what I have learned by the studying of the Scripture and immersing myself in the things of God and what I've experienced out there, and and some of that even when I was not in the faith. There was a seen world and there was an unseen world. There was a visible world, physical world, that is impacted by a spiritual unseen world. I, to the depth of of my being do not believe that what happened with me and my grandfather that night was a coincidence. I believe it was a spiritual force, namely God the Holy Spirit, kind of imposing and imparting, (laughs) imposing, thinking, look, if you, well, some of you know me, I'm 53 now. I got some mileage. But you still know I'm high octane, right? <laughs> you know? I'm like, you know, I only have like fourth and third gear and third. And even when I'm in third, I'm really like in fifth up here, right? You know, you know me. Like the quieter I am, the, the more nervous people around me get. Like, oh, no, what's he thinking? Stop, please. Yeah, you see that game face on and you're like, a gym, like oh, here we go. And so if you know me, I'm not easily disrupted. When I'm laser-like, I'm ready to do something, I'm going, man. And so I believe God imposed his will on me, meaning that I'm shooting out to go do like this, what I called missions. Every now and then I'll tell somebody, hey, I got to go do a mission. Come on, why don't you come with me? And that if I, in the logical realm, would have thought, oh, you got to call your grandfather, I, I'm very convinced I would have just Either one, ignored it, two, put it aside, like I could, I could do it later on, you know? And it was probably about eight o'clock, give or take. I, my grandfather had a really strict schedule when it came to his TV shows. And five o'clock, it was the news. At 5.30, it was more news. At six o'clock, it was this. I, come around 11.30 to 12, it was either the odd couple or the honeymooners. So I knew he was up till 12 o'clock. 
I mean, like, unless Jesus came, man, I knew if he's been 11, 13, 12, he was watching TV. And so I could have just, you know, caught, caught up to it. I could have just said, Christian, do me a favor. Just, and, I, I, and I'll do this. And Christian, the kids, hey, do this. Hey, hey, do that. Hey, remind me to do this. I didn't. I stopped right in my tracks, shelved my agenda, and turned. God imposed his will on me. He imparted to me direction, and he communicated to me, do this now. I really believe that. I believe it was a spiritual force, God the Holy Spirit, imparting, imposing, making know what he wanted me to do. In this story of me and Christy coming to the aid of my grandfather, the obvious result is my grandfather was saved from dying. My grandfather was granted more time on this earth which in itself I could talk about for so long, and he lived for four more years. Some incredible things we've seen happen in his life and in our life. But there was another result of that, and a significant result that contributes and will continually contribute to me and to me being even here today. You see, the result was my eyes were opened to the power and the resources of God I saw the unseen realm. It became very visible to me. I saw God's power and his resources vividly. I experienced them. I internalized them. I embraced them. It was so real to me because it was real. I saw and then later on experienced how God had so much more for my grandfather and for me. Even in the very beginning, I just wanted one more word, one more sentence, just 10 more seconds to hold him, to look at him, to tell him how much I loved him and how I cherished him and how much he meant to me. I got four years. And I witnessed this personally in the midst of one of the most painful and deepest struggles in my life, in the hours going there, in the hours after we got him to the hospital, in the days ahead, after him coming through the operation, even in the weeks, taking him home, very painful, difficult time for me. But in all of that, I experienced that supernatural provision. I don't know what struggles you have today, but I know this. The one who is with you is greater than whoever or whatever is against you. You need to believe that this morning. And you need to believe that that is said to you this morning, not only for you to survive and get through what you're struggling with, but for you to thrive and to grow more and see more and experience more. As I did, you may be overwhelmed, but you're not incapable. You are not defeated. And that's because you are not a physical being, but you are also a spiritual being. Imagine right now, if you would just consider in the midst of any struggle, any challenge, any thought of the future that you would consider, I'm not just a physical being, I am a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being, and the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God. Jesus says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Than he that is in the world, your adversary, Satan. We get so wrapped up in physical struggles, that we might not even think about the spiritual realities. And I'm not speaking now to 
non-believers as I was for a good chunk of my life. I'm not just speaking to people who don't believe in God, and, and I know some of you in here are prescribed to that, and we're glad to have everybody of so many different places and walks in here. It's phenomenal. It's a great place. We value everybody, treasure everybody, just as Jesus did. I'm not just talking to non-believers about not embracing or grasping the spiritual reality in the midst of physical ongoings. I'm speaking to many of you who profess faith in Jesus, that you can become so overwhelmed, it can come on you so quickly that you seemingly discount or dismiss or even shove the spiritual realities that you are a spiritual being in the midst of physical happenings and events. And instead of just reacting from a physical place, logical, reasonable, how about you just tap into that which is of God in you and respond emotionally, intellectually, cognitively from a spiritual place, the spirit of God that is in you. Deal with the unseen with the unseen. You battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and dark forces. And you will not defeat that in a physical manner, but from the Spirit of God in a spiritual place. There's an invisible world that impacts our physical world. We are in a battle every day, corporately, meaning as groups, systemically, all the injustices and difficulties out there, and individually we are in a battle. And that battle pits good versus evil, angels against demons, and God against Satan. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Wow. Paul starts out this passage in, in the Bible, and he says our final word. The terminology that Paul's using in that statement serves to turn our attention to the realization that God is calling us to stand firm in a world dominated by evil. Satan is the prince of this earth. I reconciled this before I even kind of came to know God in a way. Or when I did, it was certainly one of the things that I reconciled quickly. It's not that this is such a, a blissful place and how could these bad things be happening? It's like, man, this is an ugly place and I'm surprised so much good happens. If you really get around people in the most depth way, you will get that. And I did. As I said, I really grasped evil before I grasped God. And now, Paul, he's speaking to these Ephesians. He's under house arrest, kind of in prison. Not like house arrest we might think now, more like prison now. And he's chained to a Roman soldier. He, he's writing now these final words to this group of people in Ephesus called the Ephesians, the beginning of, like what you are, people who have come to follow Jesus. And he wants to exhort them, to challenge them now, to hold on to all that they've learned about Jesus. He wants to prepare them now for battle. And what he does is, in an ingenious way, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and really also just as you take a lot of 6, chapter 6, he, he borrows 
And, and now what he's going to say to them, he borrows kind of the structure of what he's saying here, the framework he borrows um, from uh, messages that, would, that generals in his day would be delivering to their troops that they were taking into battle. It's very similar. If you were to read a motivational speech of a Roman general in those days and read what Paul wrote, you'd see the, the similarities of the structure. You see, when a general would do this, when he'd speak to his troops, preparing them now to go into battle, the first thing he would tell them in the speech in, in so many words, but here's the structure, the elements, he would basically include something in his words that would describe the detail, in detail, the wrongs inflicted on them by their enemy. This is what they have done to us. This is what they're doing to us and our people. And that's what Paul's saying to them and to you today. Satan is your enemy. <laughs> Satan has brought pain and suffering into your life and in the lives of those you love. Call your enemy out for who he is. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Call him out today for what he has done in your life and your children's life and the lives of those you love. And be resolved this morning to say, enough is enough. Deal with these things in the spiritual realm. Enough. See it for what it is. Don't run from it. Don't minimize it. Don't bury yourself. Don't try and handle it in your own way. See it for what it is. It is not of God. It is from Satan. Call it out. Enough is enough. The next thing that Jenner would do is that he would turn around and draw a comparison with enemy forces with a reminder that it's ultimately great courage in the face of battle and not numbers that's going to prevail. Meaning, don't look at what they have and what we don't have. Don't look at how many soldiers they have and what we have. That's not what's going to win the battle. What's going to win the battle is the courage that you have within yourself. And that's what Paul is calling the Ephesians to and what he's calling us to. Satan might be telling you this morning that you're outnumbered, that you're way behind, you've lost time. What's done is done. There's a mistake. There's nothing you can do about it. And that would fly in the face and be consistent with redemption. And we have a redemptive God. One of the greatest things of all of our faith is redemption. I could preach to you for hours about the story of me and my grandfather, and it is just saturated with redemption. Just me being there in the state of place and mind that I was is astonishing. And it's all just redemption. God is with you. Do not be overwhelmed. The Spirit of God is in you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 says, Be on your guard. Watch out for Satan. Stand firm in your faith. What you know of God to be true, meaning from your spirit live. Be a person of courage. Be brave and do everything in love. You see, when you live from your spirit, you battle and you love. When you do it your own way, you battle, you weary, you tie, and you hurt yourself and others around you. Come on now. Next one. A general bringing his troops into battle, preparing them. Now, with this motivational speech, would say, he would remind his troops that this enemy has been conquered before. And that's what Paul is telling us here in 6, in, in directly and directly. He's saying, listen, this enemy has been conquered. God has beaten Satan. He, God knocked Satan out of heaven, yes? 
I mean, literally, the scripture says that Satan gathered angels with him, a legion, and, and, and came against God, and that literally God sent him out of heaven like a lightning bolt down to earth. Jesus, giving his life on the cross, breathing his last breath, saying it is finished. There's a lot in those numbing, phenomenal words, it is finished. There's so much to be said, but one of them is telling Satan, you're finished. You're done. I've conquered death. You are finished. Ultimately, victory happens right here. It's happened now. My death on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins. And now these people will have redemption. And ultimately, they will be with their Father in heaven. See, the enemy, your enemy, has been conquered before. Next, the general would kind of praise himself and his other leaders, the commanders, as superior to the leaders of the enemy forces. John chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The Spirit of God that lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. And that's what Paul is telling them in Ephesians. God is greater than the enemy schemes. God has given you the ability and the resources, and we'll lay this out in the coming weeks, to overcome and to conquer the enemy. But live spiritually. Understand and grasp that, you, that there is unseen things, that you're a spiritual being living in a physical world. The Spirit of God who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in this world. And last, the general would turn around and tell his troops, he kind of would remind him in detail of the prize that's await the victors, right? Like, when we win, this is what we're going to get, right? And Paul is doing the same thing. Listen, John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says, and if I go there, when I go there and I prepare, meaning he's already told them what he's going to do. He's going to be with his Father in heaven. He's going to be seated at the right hand of his Father, interceding and praying and talking to God on our behalf, on your behalf, on your behalf, Doug, on your behalf, Jerry, on your behalf, Melinda, on your behalf. He said, if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. Listen. We have this promise of eternal life. And I say it over and over. It's got to mean something to you that just when you realize I have a promise of eternal life, then you know you're a spiritual being because it's your spirit that is going to live eternally with your Father in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I just cherish these verses in Philippians. Paul says, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive their heavenly prize to which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. God is calling you to this phenomenal prize to be with him forever in eternity in the heavenly realms. So you see, in this passage of Ephesians, in chapter 6, Paul, he's inspired by God. He's challenging us to live the supernatural life God is calling us to. Live a supernatural life. He's exhorting us to battle, to battle the unseen with and from the Spirit of God in us. And he calls out, he reminds us of a few things. First, he, he reminds us that we live in a spiritual world. We are born into a spiritual world. When you came into this world, the battle was going on between good and evil. 
Paul is not saying, nor am I implying this morning, that your struggles are not real. They are real, your physical struggles. Marital, relational, occupational, financial, thinking of the future, just medical, they're real. What Paul is saying is they're not the primary struggle. They are not your greatest struggle. Paul knew a lot about struggling. When you read his epistles, his letters to the different churches that God is using him to start, he says, hey, five times I received 39 lashes. I was beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead, lost at sea, shipwrecked. I've gone without food, without home, and because I've been put in prison, and he's writing this from a place of house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. That's degrading, man, right? And when Paul after describing all his struggles through the epistles, he says, hey, all these struggles, now he's telling these Ephesians, all these struggles, they're not our primary struggle. They're not my primary struggle. It is not in the physical. Our primary struggles are not in the physical. Right now, pause. Just, just kind of let that settle in. My primary struggle right now, the one I think I have in my life, what's happening the one I perceive that's ahead of me, you know, that, that ugly, anxious thought, that that's not my primary struggle. My primary struggle is not with flesh and blood and in the physical. The primary struggle lies in the physical realm that will I acknowledge the one true God and live for my spirit, and will I acknowledge that I have an enemy who roars and rages against me to disrupt me from having that intimate relationship with God. There's a real struggle going inside of you. The next truth we see in this passage that Paul tells us, reminds us of, is you have a real enemy who schemes against you. Maybe later on in the coming weeks, I'll kind of flesh this out, how I experienced in my life vividly. You have a real enemy who schemes against you. I knew there was evil corporately, even kind of systemically in this world. I didn't grasp kind of this Satan and personal thing until several months, really probably about a year and a half into coming into the faith. Paul says in verse 11, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You have an an adversary, the enemy. He knows the buttons to push. His name is Satan, and he wants to take you down. Satan hates God, and he hates you. He cannot touch God, but he can come after you. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief's purpose, Satan, is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, my purpose is to give them, you, rich and satisfying life. Satan wants to steal your freedom. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, stay alert. Remember, be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour, to speak lies and distorted thoughts, and fearful thoughts, and anxious thoughts, and depressive thoughts, and hopeless thoughts into your mind. Roaring, and roaring, and roaring. And then we come back, and we say, let let us respond to this from a physical place, from a rational place, and we get our butts kicked. I don't know about you, I got my butt, and still get my butt from time to time kicked. Weary, tired, unnerved, surviving, 
Satan's primary objective is to disrupt and destroy your relation with God, your creator, the God who gave his life on the cross for your sins, that you would have eternal life, that you could stand right in the midst of everything he would say to you, remind you of, bring to you, imply to you, that you could stand firm and say, I have been made right with God. I am right in his sight because of what Jesus did on that cross. That's it. And now because of that, I can live out in victory and know redemption. That all of that mess that you're accusing me of, God is going to use that to do something incredible in my life that's going to affect me and everybody around me. This is something we have seen happen in hundreds of millions of people's life, including the guy who stands before you. I'm seeing it happen in many of your lives today, yesterday, in, in the months before. It's, it's an ongoing theme, redemption at Chair City Church. It's why I love so much about this church. There are two ways Satan does this. First, he tempts and then he accuses. He's a tempter and he's accuser. So he tempts you, he, he brings things to your mind, to your vision. It's so attractive, it's so enticing, it's going to solve the problem, it's going to fulfill me in that moment, it's going to bring physical or mental soothing and relief, gratification now. And he does that and he magnifies the pleasure of it and he minimizes the consequences. He hides the negativity that will certainly come from it. And he's doing all of this, not just to disrupt your work or your relationship with your wife. Yeah, that's good. That's a nice secondary. He's doing it to try and turn you against God. And when he's doing it, he's telling you like, you know, hey, come on, you deserve this. Or, hey, by the way, you got this, man. Come on, Gail. Gina, you got this, Gina. I mean, you got it together. You've been around long enough. You can indulge in this. You can think like this. You can do this. You got it. He's your best cheerleader. And then you go and do it. You know what he does? He accuses you. You idiot. Look at you. Look what you did now. Ha ha. You did. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Yeah, you. That's right. David, you're a hypocrite, man. You're a handsome hypocrite, but you're a hypocrite. <laughs> Your faith, and you thought it was all that, serving, giving. Look at it. Look, it's so worthless right now. Where did it get you? And he accuses you. He beats you down. And you cannot battle that from a physical place. He's trying to get you to the physical. He's trying to pull you away from the spirit of God in you. He's trying to distract you and beat you down mentally and emotionally. And you got to rise up and just remember what Jesus did. Romans 5.8. Remember Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were sinning, Christ died for you. He gave his life for you to make rest. And you could right there in that moment tell Satan, okay, I'm not listening to this. This is false. This isn't right. This is not of God. I see you. I recognize you. Enough is enough. I'm turning to the Spirit of God in me. I'm professing Jesus' name right now. I'm believing and holding on to what Jesus did on the cross for me. Right then, right there, the reality is what Paul's telling us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 is this, that you have protection from this attack of Satan. 
Paul saying you can take your stand against the enemies. In the coming weeks of this series, I so encourage you to just hang in there with us and stick in. We're going to talk about these different pieces of armor, these different weapons that, that Paul tells the Ephesians that God has given you that you can resource. But here's what I believe, that when you put on all these pieces, the summary of it all, although it's good to know what they are and how to access them and how to apply them to our lives and the difference it can make, but I do think that these pieces of armor, in summary, speak to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the good news of what Jesus did. He lived this perfect life on earth. He did away with sin and death, meaning he made a way for us to conquer sin and conquer death. We're forgiven because what Jesus did. We have hope because what Jesus did. When we have faith in him, we are made right before God. When God looks upon us, he doesn't see the mess that Satan is telling us. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Jesus is risen. He is not dead. That's what you tell Satan. Jesus is risen. Jesus right now is at the right hand of God the Father speaking on my behalf. He's fighting for me. The same spirit that lives in Jesus lives in you. That's what the Bible tells us. Stand against Satan. When he tells you you're not good enough, say, I am good enough because what Jesus did. When you feel rejected or alone, the gospel says you are never alone. You are accepted. God loves you and delights in you. When Satan says you will never change, you go to the gospel and you tell him that you are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus every day. You put on that gospel. Robert Murray McShaney, an old Scottish preacher, said this, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ you know, uh, Grandpa had the operation. He came to live with us. And what happened was uh, in the coming weeks, several weeks, I was still going out there and looking for this young woman. And it turns out I get a call that she is in Lynn, Massachusetts. And we're in New Britain, Connecticut. And in particular, she's in a crack house. So me and a couple of people I'm working with, we resolve our best shot is to go up there like late at night, like probably around midnight. Is, the, is just the best shot to... To get in there and to, and to try and even get around her. So we go up there, and uh, now we pull up down the street. We get out, and, and I'm like, wow, this, this, this is not a good situation. This is, this is not good, man. And uh, I think, man, this is how I want to go. So uh, I walk up there, and we come up through the back. Really, not to make this dramatic, but there's just a lot of ugly stuff and kind of very unnerving stuff that I'm seeing in a, in, as I'm going up these back wooden stairs. We've actually gotten some information uh, from somebody. And so I get up in there, and I walk through the front, and there are some very menacing people that are sitting up in that front kind of living room, if you will, uh, even in the hallway. Uh, and I tell them who I'm there to see, and I give them the right name. They're surprised. And so they lead me back, and I go into this room. And there is this uh, woman, and, and she's in a bed under sheets. It was dark. I couldn't see if anybody else was on the, you know, the rest of the room. And in that moment, I just really began like, <laughs> like, okay, this, like, okay, how did I get here? What am I doing here? And, and I told them when I, I'm here for the girl's name, and I mentioned the girl. And uh, she looks at me, and she says, she's not here. And, and I, I mean, she had this, like, look on her face. And that moment, you know what? I could just tell you, I think it was in me, and then it came upon me, meaning what got me there? Why did I go there? And I, what brought me to come up in this year? What kept me going? But now, right there, in that moment where, man, just fear and anxiety is going to come upon me, you see, I had experienced the power and the resources of God. Very soon before this, I saw what God did with my grandfather. I had experienced the supernatural power and resources of God, you know? Yeah. 
It was mine. I owned it. And I knew now not to live. There's something in me that knew, Dave, don't tap into the physical. Like, should I start tapping into my street knowledge? You know, this was not new to me. I, I grew up in this. I was, I, I was familiar with it so much. Should I start trying to relate to her? I, I did not. I tapped into the spiritual. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, and I would tell you that this girl, God has his hand on her life. And I've come here to take her for him. And there's a silence. The phone rings. It was the girl. They had sent her away, knowing I was, they're not stupid. They, knowing I was coming, they had shipped her out a couple of blocks away to another place. Where I'm pretty confident they were kind of preparing to prostitute her. And she somehow got to the phone and calls. I don't know the conversation I, to this day. All I know is I, I saw a confused look on her face. She hung, I do know it was her, though. She hung up the phone. And all she said was, okay, tell them I said to bring you here now. And she hung up the phone. And she said, she'll be here in 10 minutes. And I walked out that night with that girl. And I drove her home to her mom. Right? And that happened because I was making the choice to tap into the spiritual realm. Yes? So listen. See, what I did was I was strong. Paul says in 6.10, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I was strong then not in myself, but in the Lord and his mighty power, meaning it was so real. It was, I, it was so present. I experienced it. This is what God has for you and he wants for you. Be strong today. Be strong in all your struggles. Be strong in your cancer. Be strong in your depression. Be strong in your marriage today. Be strong in what's happening in your relationship with your children today. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord. Your strength and the source of your strength has a name, and it is Jesus. This is not self-reliance. This is victory in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. This is Paul writing to the same Ephesians. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In his incomparably great power for us who believe in him, Jesus. That power is the same as the mighty, listen, that, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, above all authority, in power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, but also on November 4th in 2018 in your life, right here and right now. There is a spiritual power that is available to you. God's resources, God's power, God's protection, the same powers that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We are in a battle. You are in a battle right now today. The struggle is real, but so is the strength. Yes? If you came in here today and you just are living out, just not in relationship with God, you might not believe in him. You might kind of think there's a God, but you can't really relate to him. You, you, you might have just been kicking this around, but you are here today. And I believe it was this, I believe it is spirit. If I can in, invoke this on you, I guess I'm going to anyway, that that's the spiritual battle has favored you today. And you are here hearing this message. And, and that it is for the reason that you would know God, that for the reason that you'd be able to see life out through such a different lens that you have been. And that today you would begin 
a relationship with Jesus. You would come to a place of really grasping, God, I do need you. With that, that stirring in you, God, I do need you, and I want to know you more. And, and, and I'm, I believe in Jesus that you loved me so much that he gave his life for me that my mess would be redeemed in so many wonderful ways and ultimately that I would be in heaven with you. And today I want to start a relationship with Jesus. There's a card. It says, a connection card. It says you on one, on one side. The other side says my next step, your next step, your great step to a new you and a new life is a check that box off. I'm starting a new relationship with Jesus. And if you've been living out this thing we call faith and you've really been more in the physical than in the supernatural and the spiritual, today you're going to renew your relationship with Jesus. And you're going to say, I am going to see Satan for who he is. I'm in a battle. It's not just me. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop handling my money. I'm going to stop handling my family my way. Did you get that? I'm going to stop handling my money and my family and my relationships and my future in the physical realm. I'm going to deal with it all through the spiritual realm. I renew my relationship with Jesus today. It's going to be new. It's going to be real. I'm going to surrender to God with all my heart, soul, and mind today. You check that box off. Take those cards to the guest services table. They're not going to jump on you. They might smile. They might jump on you. What they're going to do is they're going to give you a box, and it's got some good information in it, a, a Bible and some other stuff to give you traction, to keep you going. We thank God for what he's doing in your life. To God be the glory.